Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. You know, psychologists tell us that there is a connection that we make with one another when we go through a hard time, a difficult time, that we don't make at any other time. Uh, they, they say it's like a social glue that connects us to one another. That when you go through a difficult experience in life, uh, you have a hardship in your life and you process that with other people that you, you make a connection with them in a very meaningful way. It's just the way we're wired, it's the way we're, we're made. The Bible says God didn't design us to live life alone. The 14th chapter of Romans says, none of us lives to ourselves alone, none of us die to ourselves alone. But the tendency is when you go through a difficult time is to isolate and insulate and to cut yourself off from other people and that's a, it's a very unhealthy thing. It's not the right way to process the pain that you're going through. You, you, have to, uh, you have to be willing to be open and sometimes even to be vulnerable in order to get healing. So I think there is a connection. I agree with the psychologist. I think we have a bond when we go through a hard experience of life. I've certainly seen it in the life of our church. I mean, since Cindy has a... Since Cindy has gone to heaven, since she's been in heaven, it's been uh, therapeutic for me to talk to you about that. I read somewhere about the tendency we have when we are in grief uh, to repress, repression, which is a, um, an unconscious um, effort to suppress pain or, or to ignore pain. Uh, then there's not just repression, which is subconscious, there's re, there is suppression, which is a conscious effort <laughs> to suppress pain. And sometimes we try to do that. We put our best foot forward and we try to go through life and uh, I'll get it. But the healthy thing I'm finding <laughs> is to express it, to talk to other people about it. Don't repress, don't suppress, but express. Express it is when you talk to other people about what you're going through. Uh, when you confess, you talk to God <laughs> about what you're going through. Not that he doesn't know. But it's a healthy thing to be able to say, this is how I'm feeling. You read the book of Psalm, and in it are all the emotions that you and I would ever experience. Happy, sad, you know, angry, uh, euphoria, it's all there. David certainly went through that. The writers of those Psalms certainly knew about that. It's our human experience. And so I'm saying we have to process the pain that we go through in life in a healthy way, or it will soon turn on us, <laughs> you know. Uh, it, it will begin to affect our joy and affect our, our happiness. Uh, when, when you read the Psalms, in fact, in Psalm 32 and in Psalm 39, David went from mourning to moaning. <laughs> now, to mourn is positive, to moan is not positive. Uh, mourning is a healthy process of pain and grief. Moaning is not healthy at all. <laughs> And what happens is you just turn it in on yourself. 
and you withdraw, as I said earlier, you isolate, you insulate, and that's a tendency that you have when you go through a painful experience. And, and it's, imagine, if you will, a person who's not mourning but moaning, and suddenly they're just fighting. They're swinging, they're, they're fighting the air, they're just, they're just swinging at nothing, they're just shadow boxing and swinging. And imagine that you're seeing someone do that, and all of a sudden, you see the person that's doing that, and you love that person. So what you wanna do is you wanna come and embrace that person, but because they're swinging and fighting, they inadvertently hit you. And that's what happens sometimes if you don't mourn but you moan and you turn it on yourself, hurt people can hurt people. And so when you're trying to love and embrace, you find you're getting hit by someone who is not dealing with what they're going through in a healthy way. You turn it on yourself, it becomes anger and eventually you'll start hurting other people. If you don't talk it out with someone, you will take it out on someone. So it's important that you deal with these factors that come into our life. And so the, the good thing is there's a positive connection. The bad thing is if we don't make it, if we don't make the positive connection, it can turn on us and it can become very negative emotion within us. So let me ask you, how are you doing with that? <laughs> how are you doing with your stuff? You know, a lot of times we, we think that it's the circumstances of life that make us do what we do. And I found that's not really the case. In the book of Mark, it says it's not what goes into a person that defiles them, but what comes out of the person that defiles them. Illustration. Let's say you're leaving here this morning. You have your little cup of joy from being in church, and you're driving down the road as happy as you can be, and you're heading to babes to get you some fried chicken. <laughs> and you're just enjoying life, and all of a sudden, somebody cuts you off. Some heathen cuts you off. And all of a sudden, man, something comes out of your mouth that's not real sanctified. <laughs> not real churchy. <laughs> Nothing you would have probably said in here. And let me ask you the question, did the person that cut you off and spilt your little cup of joy, did that person put that in your heart or did they draw that out of your heart? The reality of it is it's all in there. All they did was draw out what was already there. I mean, I did a whole series called Squeezed. It's the idea of what's in you comes out of you when you get squeezed, and believe me this morning, we're all full of something. <laughs> and whatever you're full of will come out of you when you get squeezed or you get bumped. And I'm, I'm still on my topic this morning. I'm just suggesting to you that when you go through a hurtful experience, there can be an opportunity for connection with other people. But if you don't mourn properly and you don't deal with it healthy, then you will find it will become negative. And not talking it out means I take it out. And before you know it, that which God meant to bring me good and him glory ultimately is something that's working against me. So I ask you again, how, how are you doing with your stuff? What I've found in my situation and talking to many of you is that everybody's going through something. Your something may not be my something, but you're going through something. If you hadn't gone through something, you probably will if life you know, is what it is and it will bring it about in your life at some point. I'm not being negative, I'm just saying you're gonna go through something. It's just the way it works. So I hope we can talk about some tools that we can have to help us navigate. And I, not just tools, but I hope we can talk about some ways of looking at it that will help us process it in a way where it becomes positive, where the mourning doesn't become moaning and we can connect with each other in a greater way. When you study the Bible, you find that to help us comprehend God, 
He uses oftentimes what we call anthropomorphic terms. It's just a way in which he can relate, he being infinite and we being finite. He, he relates to, for example, the Bible says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro through all the earth. I didn't mean his eyes are rolling around out there somewhere. It's an anthropomorphic term that helps us understand. The Bible says the hand of the Lord. The Bible says the voice of God. So those are terms. And not only does the Bible use those types of terms to help us understand how he works, it also uses um, 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 metaphors. Right, one of the metaphors I want us to consider this morning is this idea of bread. Bread, he uses bread. A simple thing like bread to help us understand what he's doing in our life so that he may do something through our life. And it's interesting because he says in Matthew that bread comes from the Father. Remember the prayer he said, give us this day our daily bread, right? So he is the provider of bread. And then when he says at the communion table, he says, this is my body, so he is bread. So he provides bread, he's bread. Then in 1 Corinthians, Paul says the church becomes bread to the world. So he provides bread, he is bread, so we're bread. <laughs> and that the world is hungry and the world is in need of bread. So when you think about it, every time you take communion, here's what's happening. Bread is giving bread to bread. <laughs> you thought about that? And so bread is significant. Not only does it meet a, a physical need, but I wanna talk to you at a different level. It meets a spiritual need. This world is hungry. It's looking for something. One theologian said that within all of us there is a God-shaped vacuum, a void in our life that nothing in the world can fill. When Paul was writing about how we are wired, he said, 1 Thessalonians 5, he said, I pray to God your spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of the Lord. We call it trichotomy. Now some think of dichotomy, of spirit and soul being one, and then the body, I, I say potato, potato. I just look at what Paul said. He said spirit and soul and body. So I think of it as trichotomy. In other words, I believe we are emotional, I believe we are physical, and I believe we are spiritual. And if I'm gonna be a whole person, if I'm gonna be a wholesome person, if my home is gonna be wholesome, then we need to be healthy. Two half people do not make a whole person. <laughs> Regardless of what Jerry Maguire says, no one can complete you. You get that, maybe Google it, it's a real thing. <laughs> no one can complete you. Uh, it's just not possible. In fact, when you get two half people trying to make a whole relationship, you end up with some weird dysfunction and some very codependent people. So what makes a incredibly strong home or business or church is wholesome people, people that are healthy in and of themselves. Meaning that I am responsible for my emotional, physical, and spiritual health. And I think the spiritual part of us is essential because it is foundational because it is the only thing about me that is eternal. What I have as I stand before you is the hope of heaven. What I know as I stand before you this morning is one day I'll see Cindy again. Because more than being physical and more than being emotional, she was spiritual and she had dealt with her spiritual life. And I'm saying, when you deal with your spiritual life and you invite Christ into your life, you realize you are healthy in the most significant area of your being because that spiritual life becomes foundational to everything else. Now, now stay with me on this. Jesus, or Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 3 that there's not a better foundation that can be laid than the foundation that has been laid, and then he describes it this way, 
Christ Jesus. So if Jesus is the foundation and I connect with him spiritually, then I build my emotions and my physical health and everything else related to that off of my spiritual foundation or my spiritual platform. So my spiritual life becomes the most significant part of me. And everyone knows and acknowledges that they're inherently spiritual. If you study cultures, no matter how primitive, there'll be some form of worship. Where do they get that idea? Because it is intuitive, it is inherent in the heart of every individual on the planet that they are not only emotional and physical, they are also spiritual. So they have some type of form of worship. They're trying desperately to fill that vacuum, that void, that emptiness spiritually in their life with something. Maybe they'll worship a cow or, you know, or some other form of worship, an idol. They'll have something because, because inherently, intuitively they know I'm spiritual. And within my spiritual being is a a desire to connect with my creator. People try to fill that up with religion, with rituals, with rules, with righteousness. If I can just be better, I can do more, give more, right? I mean, I just, I, I just, I just, I try everything. And Jesus came on the scene and he turned that thinking upside down when he said in John 14, six, he said, it's not religion. It's not your, uh, it's not your rituals. It's not your self-righteousness. It is your relationship with me. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the father except by me. What's my point? My point is there is a hunger in this world for bread. Not for the physical bread, but for the spiritual bread. And Jesus said, I provide bread, I am bread, my church is bread, he's the bread that gives bread to the bread. And we who are bread, responsibility to give bread spiritually to a hungry world. And just for a few moments that we're together, I just wanna point out one of the most famous passages that beautifully illustrate what this looks like. It's the feeding of the 5,000. We all heard that. When John six records it, they count them, 5,000. Now, ladies, I don't know why in the Bible they only counted the guys. Take that up, I don't know. Don't know, ain't going there. (laughs) But they only counted the guys. I I can't explain it, 5,000. So we talk about the feeding of the 5,000. It was much more than that. Because would you agree with me, go out on this limb of supposition with me for a moment, would you agree that if you have 5,000 guys, somewhere there's gonna be 5,000 girls? Is that fair? And would you also agree if you got 5,000 guys and 5,000 girls, that there's probably gonna be 5,000 kids somewhere? Is that a pretty safe assumption? So I think I would agree with a lot of theologians who say the feeding of the 5,000 was really more like the feeding of the 20 plus thousand. So here they are gathered on a hillside. Jesus has just gotten off of a boat. And imagine you are on that hillside, 20,000 people attracted to Jesus to see what he was going to do, hear what he was going to say. They were enthralled by him. Everywhere he went, he drew crowds. From the moment John declared, hey, there's Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. From that moment in time, everywhere he went, people followed him. It was phenomenal. 20,000 without any amplification. Just his voice bouncing off of the water on that hillside in that little natural amphitheater. People were leaning in, listening to every word that he would say. And I love Matthew's uh, account. Let's look at this quickly in Matthew 14. Here's what he said. As evening approached, as evening approached, I mean, if we're not done here in about 10 minutes, somebody's gonna be dialing 911. I gotta get out of here. But as evening approached, now, by the way, I've been in long service. How many of you have been in a long church service before? Good, God bless you. 
I'm so happy I'm not alone. My dad was a pastor. I have sat through some of the most longest, glorious services of my whole <laughs> life. Good night. Anyway, as, uh, as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, as though he didn't know. And it's already getting late, as though he didn't know. And here was their solution. Tell them to go home. They can hit the grocery store, they can hit Chick-fil-A's clothes today, but they can go somewhere else and buy some food. And Jesus said, they don't need to go away. They're going, well, what do you mean they don't need to go away? Now here's the principle, I don't want you to miss this. I, I don't wanna spend a lot of time on this, but this is significant. The principle he was about to teach the disciples is the people already had, they had everything they needed to meet that need. It was already there, they just didn't see it. Now let me stop and tell you something. Everything you need to be the person God has designed you to be, you already have. You say, man, if I just had that lady's personality, if I just had his, you know, if I had his disposition, if I just had that gift, if I, if I no, you have everything you need to be the person God's designed you to be. They say, we don't know what we're gonna do. He goes, I do, it's already there. The answer is right in front of you. And what was cool about it, and you remember the story, John 6 talks about the little boy whose mother packed him a lunch, and, and the Bible says they found him, they discovered him, Mark four, uh, Matthew 14 doesn't talk about the little boy. It jumps that piece of the story, but it picks it up and says in verse 17, we just have five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus answered, loosely translated, problem solved. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. He takes the five loaves and two fish looking up to the heavens. He takes this, he gives thanks for it, he breaks it, he gives it. And the disciples gave it to the people. They ate, no, now they were satisfied. 20 plus thousand people were satisfied and picked up 12 baskets full of what? Broken pieces that were left. I want us to look just a moment at this incredible miracle and from it draw an application of how God prepares us to be a blessing to other people. I just kind of title uh, the message about a new impact. A new impact. First thing he does is he is receiving. He's receiving. Jesus, there's bread here, bring it to me. What's interesting about it is he doesn't demand it. He doesn't say, where's that kid? I know there's a kid in the crowd, I want your lunch. Bring me your lunch, I demand that you bring me your lunch. I command that you bring me, you know who I am? Bring me that lunch. No, it's willingly offered. Little boy says, I've got something here and I'd like to put this, what I have in the hands of Jesus. And the first thing Jesus does is he graciously receives that which was given. When I see that on a spiritual level, I see that Jesus is receiving people. He said, those who come to me, he said, I will in no wise cast out. If the church had a doormat, you know what the words on the doormat of the church ought to be? Whosoever will, let him come. That's what Jesus said. <laughs> Whosoever will, let him come. A lot of churches, they get to that point that once I get in, that's all I need, that's all I care, us for, no more, shut the door. <laughs> no shoes, no shirt, no sinners. <laughs> and they lose sight of the fact that we're all sinful. Like that great theologian Clint Eastwood said, we all got it coming. There's none, there's none righteous, no, not one. We're, we're all sinful. So one of the beautiful things about our Lord is, man, when you come, he receives. And the beautiful thing about what he was doing is he was receiving. And you know what I found? I found every one of us are better off in his hands. You say, Bill, you don't know what I've done. Doesn't matter what you've done. You don't know who I am. Really don't care who you are. <laughs> If you'll come to him, he who comes to me, I will in no wise cast you out. And you know what he said in John 10, once you're in his hands, no one can take you from his hand. Ephesians 1.18 says we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. 
You're in his hand. No one can take you there. You can't even jump out of his hand. Because if you, you, can, you can fall on the rock, you can't fall off of it. When you're in his hand. And listen, the, safe, listen, the safest place to be in the storms of your life are, is in his hands. And I found if you'll come to him, he'll receive you. Outside of Rockefeller Center in New York, you have that statue, that famous statue of Atlas, depicted as the strongest man in the world, this mythological character, Atlas. And you remember the statue, he's straining and all the muscles are straining as he's carrying the weight of the world on his shoulder. But if you go right across the street from Rockefeller Center, there's a cathedral there. And in the cathedral, there's another statue. It's a statue depicting the little boy, Jesus. Jesus is a little boy, and he's effortlessly holding the world in his hand. (laughs) What a contrast. Over here, I'm trying to do this on my own without him. Over here, I'm trying to fill the void in my life without him. Over here, I'm trying to handle life without him. And over there, my world is in his hand. So ladies and gentlemen, he's still receiving. Number two, not only is he receiving, he received the bread. Notice the next thing he did, he blessed the bread. Everything that's in his hands is blessed. When you're in his hands, you're blessed. When your family's in his hands, you're blessed. When your business is in his, your, his hands, you're blessed. Anytime you honor him, you're blessed. When you start your day as he started the Bible, in the beginning, God, you're blessed. Everything that comes in his hands are blessed. And the first thing he does with that which he receives is he blesses the thing. Every one of us are blessed. You think about how he's blessed us. Man, forgiveness. Forgiveness. You say, I can't turn things to be thankful for. Be thankful for the fact he's forgiven you. You know, what, how for, you know how complete his forgiveness is? He's forgiven you for all that you've done. He's forgiven you for all that you're doing. And by the way, he's forgiven you already for everything you're going to do. You say, oh, really? Yeah, at the cross, all my sins, past, present, and future, were taken care of. You say, well, I don't understand that. How can he forgive me for sins I've not yet uh, committed, but I'll probably commit before I die? Well, if he doesn't, hadn't already forgiven you at the cross, then does that mean he has to come back and die again for you? And isn't it true that at the cross, all of us were in the future anyway? <laughs> so isn't there a sense in which when he went to the cross and I received him, that all that forgiveness was already in the future? The point is, once you know him as your savior, you're blessed, you're forgiven. There's two things that hold you to God. There is your relationship to God and your fellowship with God. Relationship means you're his child. Fellowship means you get along. What happens when I walk away from God, it doesn't affect my relationship. It affects my fellowship. You can be in a relationship and out of fellowship. If you're married, you understand that. (laughs) You're in a relationship, but you ain't talking right now. Now I ain't looking at anybody when I say that. I'm just looking right over your heads. But I'm just saying it is very possible to have a solid relationship and be very committed to each other, but don't like each other right at the moment. What happens with God? He can be your heavenly father, your creator, your Lord, your savior. He could promise you a home in heaven, but stuff you go through hurts you deal with, things that you go through that don't make sense, and so you just, you're just done for a while. You walk away from church, close your Bible, you don't want, you don't want to deal with it, you don't pray for it. I, I get it all, I get all of that, get all that. But I'm just suggesting you that when you come back home, you know what you find? The same God that received you will still receive you. The same God that blessed you will still bless you. Sometimes what you have to do in order to be thankful is you have to tell your present about your past. 
You have to tell your present you about your past you. You have to tell your you now what God did for you yesterday, how he brought you through. Not only thank him for what has happened to you, thank him for what didn't happen to you that could have happened to you. And can I just put a little bow on this and say, if God never answered another prayer of mine for the rest of my life, but simply took me to heaven and kept me out of hell, I would say that's a pretty sweet deal, right? If he just said, Ramsey, from now on, talk to the hand, I'll see you on the other side, but you ain't getting nothing else out of me, I would think, oh, well, okay, we're still good, right? Yeah, we're still good, okay. That's not bad, but he's promised heaven and he's promised to bless us all along the way. So I'm just suggesting to you, ladies and gentlemen, that when you're in his hands, he receives you, he blesses you. Thirdly, and this is the hard part, he breaks you. He broke the bread. Now this is where your theology, if you're not real careful, will leave the track. This is where you off-road all of a sudden. Because there are some who tell us that once you're in his hands, it's impossible for us to be broken. That's just not biblical. You remember what he said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 18, I wanna teach a principle to the people, I'm gonna teach you with a visual at the potter's house, go down to the potter's house and watch what the potter is doing. So he goes down to this tradesman and he watches the potter as he puts the clay on the board, as he pumps the treadle, as the board's spinning and the potter is working the clay. And this is what's interesting, Jeremiah 18 and four, somewhere in change. He says, the clay, as he worked it, get this phrase, became marred in the potter's hands. Did you know clay can get marred in the hands of the potter? Your creator, the God that made us, designed us, that knows all about us, our lives can become marred. You can get broken. The bread was broken in the hands of the Savior. It was necessary, it was significant. And you can't have blessing without brokenness. Someone has well said that it is doubtful, doubtful, that God can use anyone greatly who has not first of all been hurt deeply. And oftentimes, the deeper the hurt, the greater the use. Three loaves wasn't gonna feed 20,000 people. I mean, he goes, I got three loaves of bread. Who's the lucky three? (laughs) No, you got 20,000 people. How are you you gonna pull that off? Well, he's gonna pull it off by receiving it, by blessing it, and then by breaking it into pieces. And as it was broken, get this, it was multiplied. You know what happens sometimes when you're broken? Your influence is multiplied. People will see something and be impressed by that which they've seen in your life that nothing else in the world impressed them like that. Sometimes it's not your successes that people learn so much about you as it is your setbacks, how you handle with adversity. I've told you before, if you go to the jewelry store and you look at a piece of jewelry, all they'll do when they show you that is they'll put it against a dark backdrop. They want the brilliance of that item to shine. Sometimes for the brilliance of God's creation, sometimes for the incredible things he's doing in your life, for it to shine to other people, he puts you against a, back, a, a dark backdrop. There's darkness, difficulty, heartache, heartbreak, brokenness. And I've learned when you're broken, you, you, you need to grieve. 
Don't suppress, repress, remember, express, confess. You need to grieve. Here's another thing you need to remember. If you don't talk it out to someone, you may take it out on someone. So it's important to allow the hurt and the pain of the brokenness to be processed in a healthy way so that you come through that and your influence is increased. The brokenness means you've multiplied. You, You have a greater effectiveness to help more people. And here's the reason, and I'm closing with this. Number four, it was so the bread could be given. Can I tell you something? Somebody out there needs what you bring to the table. Somebody else out there needs the bread that you bring. Think about that. There's someone hungry in your circle that needs the bread that your life brings. And there's not enough of you to go around until you were broken. And in your brokenness, you were sensitized. You were multiplied. And God has given you a a compassion for people that maybe you didn't have before. Who better to help someone who's going through a divorce than someone who's been there? Who better to help someone navigate through a terminally ill illness than someone who's been there? Dare I say, who better to help someone who's lost someone than someone who's been there? So there's a reason. Ecclesiastes 3, remember? To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. What is my purpose? To be bread to somebody that's hungry. Let me close with this. Guy was walking down the beach after a hurricane and thousands and thousands of starfish had washed up on the beach. And in the calmness after that storm, he was picking the starfish up and throwing them back in the water. Those that were still living, he was throwing them back in the water. And a friend of his met him for their walk and said to him, what are you doing? He said, man, I'm saving starfish. He kind of laughed, he goes, man, there are hundreds of thousands of starfish, you can't save them all, what difference does it make? And he held one up in his hand and he said, makes a big difference to this one. Makes a big difference to this one. Friend, you can't help everybody, but you can help who you can help. And could it be God has allowed you to go through what you've gone through so you can help somebody who's gonna be going through what you've gone through? We're bred in the hands of our Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's true. Father, thank you that not only can you not lie, you can't even exaggerate. And so this morning I pray that my friends will wrap their heads around the principle of this metaphor to realize that we're bred in your hands and our lives are a means of affecting a hungry world. So help us to take our resources and help us to take our influence and help us to take the life you give us each day to help somebody else. We're bred and there's some hungry people. I pray our church will be about that. Help us to be about a church that's just focused on you, focused on connecting people to you. That's the main thing. Help us to keep the main thing the main thing. For my friends here, maybe those watching who've never received you as savior, I pray in this moment they'll humble their heart and say, God, with all that I know about me, I trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart and forgive my sin. For others here this morning, 
You've received them and you've blessed them, but you've allowed them to be broken so that they could be given. I pray they'll connect dots. And I pray that instead of being bitter by the experience, they'll become better by it and realize you've got a plan. You can be trusted. You never fail. So Lord, strengthen them and give them joy. Give them comfort today. And Father, for those who just need someone to encourage them before they leave, to pray for them, I pray as soon as I dismiss now, they'll make their way here to the front, let one of these amazing people spend a few moments to pray for them, encourage them before they go. And finally, Lord, I pray for the, the, the women's event that's coming up, for Jess and Lainey and all who share. I pray that many ladies that are here today and some watching online will take the opportunity to sign up today to be a part of that, and I pray you'll bless it. Lift some burdens that night. Father, thank you for the joy it is to know Jesus, for the joy it is to make him known. And we give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great rest of your Sunday. We'll see you soon. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.